This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. And today we discuss how the foreknowledge of God properly precedes predestination in Romans chapter 8. Good day, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm. I'm here with Thad Keenel, and we are bringing you another edition of our Planted Podcast. We have been in this season kind of going down a uh, the road of Reformed theology and trying to share some of the the doctrines of the Reformed faith and really have discussions and try to bring in some practical conclusions about why they're important, why we believe them biblically, and you know, just what are some of the debate and discussion that has happened around them? We actually began talking about the eternal decree, which kind of started flowing all of this down, that whatever comes to pass, God has ordained. And so, uh, and with that, the, this whole idea of, th- does that mean really, uh, does anything that we do matter? I mean, that's been kind of the big discussion against what some people will just try to label as Calvinism or this idea of predestination and so forth. And I think what we've been trying to lay out is that, you know, God in his eternal decree, that, that whatever so comes to pass, he's ordained. And with that, bringing in the idea of predestination of God's forethought out plan, that, and all of this has to do with his glory, the glory of God, which ultimately has found its culmination reality in Jesus Christ. And, and so that, to try to separate some of these things out philosophically um, and just looking at, you know, God's decree or, or the, some of the concepts of predestination and without discussing Jesus Christ, without seeing him as the culmination, the point, the reason for all this and his glory being revealed in humanity through Jesus, in, in some sense is, it, what I would say is in some sense is fruitless, Right, that if you take Jesus out of the picture to answer the questions, then you're not pursuing the right train of thought. Right, um, but so, so we're going to continue down with this. But but I think the the important thing to recognize is that as we talk about some of these distinctions and differences, a lot of it has been within the realm of the Christian faith. Right, that we we that it is that some of these various viewpoints would not necessarily be considered heretical or to the point of which you don't have salvation or don't follow Jesus. Um, But there have been some in church history that really kind of have been declared as heretical, right? Right. And so like we've been, we, a lot of what we, this debate is is often labeled Calvinism versus Arminianism. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. Right. Um, But that didn't start back in the 16th century, right? Right, yeah. yeah, and some of these things have been going on for years previous to that, and actually, um, when it comes to the, the the notion of of God's decree and God's will, which, as we've talked about several times, a lot of this to understand this, we don't need, we need both a good Christology theology of Jesus, soteriology theology of salvation, but also anthropology understanding man, and we've talked about the nature of man and our and our sin and what that did to separate us from God and our inability really to choose God apart from God's work. And so 
um, all of that goes back to discussions that the church has had since the beginning. And, and really, it found its kind of historic church history really laid this out in the debate of, of um, Pelagianism. So there was a, a, um, a guy, Pelagius, who, who really, you know, he believed in this absolute kind of free will of man that it really that, and, and laid the burden of salvation on, on man's choice. Right. In this sense, and where August Augustine and Augustinianism and its history really laid down what became the Orthodox belief, really in the the fall of of man and the original sin and and really the foundations of what later in Calvinism called total depravity, really fa- finds its roots in Augustine. Yeah, absolutely, and that debate uh, between those between those two between. Augustine and and Pelagius were were letters that were written back and forth, right? right. And uh, it was it was a heated debate because what always seems to come into the debate is, um, I think the catalyst is, and you mentioned this before, is the ability of man in his fallen state, right? And how God would define that, and how we kind of feel in our natural state as though we are not totally depraved or totally dead or totally without will. And that's kind of a misconception, isn't it? When it comes along to those things, but the debate actually starts prior to that, even in a hypothetical type of question that Paul asks to himself, yeah. right? He, he kind of throws these things back out there because he says, well, maybe you're going to ask this question and here's the answer to that. And who are you, old man, to answer back to God in such a fashion and these things. So he's, ans- he's, he's kind of throwing these questions out that he's probably being asked by right. people. And, you know, so they're all natural questions, but we have to wrestle with them. And as is the purpose of this class to be rooted and planted in God's word, we have to answer them according to God's word, right? And that requires um, proper context and proper word definition. And I think you started it uh, off very well when you said, you know, before we talk about uh, predestination, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about foreknowledge and what that is because that kind of comes in the golden chain before predestination. And what heads that up is God's eternal decree, which we began in this right. discussion, you know, several weeks ago. And how does God decree things in in a fashion that's responsive to other people's actions, or in is is it in His own sovereign, His own sovereign will, His own sovereign power? Right? Does right. God respond to other people that way, or does He come up with these things eternally on His own? Yeah. And so now you 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 threw out this term the golden chain, and so how about I'll just let you start to talk about that where that comes from. Give us a scripture reference so we can we can read it even because we've talked about this passage already before. But just go ahead and you know talk about which what you throw that out there. What is that and where does it come from? Sure. Well, the golden chain. I mean, a chain is just things that are linked together, and these are ideas and statements that are made to be taken as facts about God's plan for those whom he would save. And we're all familiar with how it begins in Romans 8, verse 28, where it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And then 
this is where the chain begins in verse 29. It says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So the chain is, is summed up in that last verse of 30 there for predestined, these he called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. But it gets its root back in the word, those whom he foreknew. Yeah, so the the first one that kicks off the chain right. is... It really is for no, to foreknow, and so and that becomes one of the probably sticking points or debatable words that the Armenians and Calvinists to use that framework. And I haven't looked at Pelagius and and Augustine to know <laughs> in, a, in a while to know if, if that you know how much they debate foreknowledge. But I know that but this is one of those things that is debated among the kind of two different camps and. And we, we would say with the, the two different camps that, that one is not heretical or not in terms of, you know, you can you can be an Arminian. It, it, Arminianism wasn't declared a heresy in the same way Pelagianism was. Right. Um, but the, right. And the difference, maybe the, the explanation is, yeah. is that Pelagius was a guy that said that he in and of himself had his own ability to, to make the decision to right. follow God and to live out a righteous life. Yeah. Where, Arminius, which would be called the semi-Pelagius, says, right. you know, within our own will, we have the ability to choose God, um, understanding that there's a freedom that comes in God's grace that kind of goes before to, to help set us free in that essence. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, and, and we'll probably get to that a little bit more, but, but we need to start with the whole foreknowledge yeah. issue, right? And so so within that um, is this the kind of the two sides is what does God's foreknowledge mean? And so within, uh, how about you just share a little bit within the Armenian view what that foreknowledge is? Sure. Well, I was um, in the Nazarene church for a long time, which is an Armenian um, style church. And this is just in terms of the doctrines of grace. And so as we learn about this golden chain, the idea of foreknowledge from this aspect is the idea that God, because he is outside of time mm -hmm. and he is all knowing, he knows all events. Right. And therefore he knows what mankind will choose ahead of time. Right. right. And so he can see down the annals of time, what man will choose th those who are going to choose right. him and whatnot. And based on what he knows in his knowledge of time and all circumstances, right. he then can say in his in all his glory, right? Mm -hmm. That he has foreknown what they're going to do, and therefore he can predestine them to be right. called to his his servant, right. right? So this so this really a lot has to do with the quality of God uh, that we we call omniscience, the fact that he knows all things, and for most Armenians, um, they would agree that God is omniscient. Um, you know, uh, the reason I say most is because there is this one little branch in that's kind of become called open theism. Right. And within open theism, they would probably, you know, technically say that God knows all things, but they would say God has choos chosen to set that aside and take risks and does not know, 
you know, it, like in point in time future events yeah. and stuff like it, it's 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 really a right. interesting um, theological philosophy. But um, exactly, but I, so we are talking about two camps of Arminianism and and also Calvin. Right. And when you go into open theism, it just spreads like wildfire, and there's no real co- coherent <laughs> thought. And the idea behind it is that God, knowing all things. Actually, he has to know all circumstances of every possible free will right. choice along the way, and he's got to kind of juggle that right. to to know. And it, it loses ground pretty quick, and so we we don't adhere to that. So we're just going to talk about the two camps, the primary two right. camps. Right, but I, I bring that up because I just to say, like you know, with Armenians, especially Wesleyans, um, I would you know that that branch of Armenianism, which is even the the evangelical Wesleyans, you know, which Wesley would be evangelical, um, but then is it would say that. You know, yes, God's omniscient, and as part of His omniscience, He knows who's going to choose Him and who isn't, and so that's all. Pre- so predestination is basically explaining that that right. God foreknows that 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 Dad would choose Him one day, and so He's predestined um, according to that. And so um, the question is: Is that what this passage and other biblical passages talking about God's foreknowledge of people? Uh, is that accurate yeah. in, in 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 our view? So right. so let's talk about that a little bit. Well, let Matt. me um, let me look um, and read a little bit about Wesley. Okay. Um, what he says himself. That way, you know, we're not you know putting words yeah. in his mouth, but it's it's him speaking. And Wesley's idea is that predestination is based on. God's foreknowledge, like we said, of of other people's choices, mm-hmm. and not God's will. Right. Okay. So this is an interest, not his decreative will, so to speak. Right. This is um, before that, and so you have God. It says corporately predestines all those who respond in faith to salvation, and by foreknowledge he knows all who will respond. His foreknowledge does not cause their response. So Wesley felt that the idea of absolute unconditional predestination by divine decree was inconsistent with God's justice as well as his love for creation. In other words, um, they make it sound like it's not coherent with what we think God would respond like to to other people, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's got God choosing some and not others according to his decree, instead of letting people respond to to an act of God's gracious love right. of, of mercy. So, right? so if God doesn't choose everyone, then God's unjust? Is it that, or is it that um, God, uh, in his justice, can't hold accountable those who he doesn't release from the bondage of sin? Which, you know, do you see the distinction I'm making? Yeah, um, I do. So what do you think it is? <laughs> I mean, right? It's a because well, yeah. you got to almost step into somebody else's mind to do that. But let yeah. me let me let me read this one okay. last line, and maybe I'll answer it. Right. So what he does in summary, um, Wesley says he says this that as all that are called were predestined. So he's going to work this backwards a little mm-hmm. bit. We're predestined all. So also all whom God has predestined, He foreknew. He knew and He saw them. As believers, and as such, he predestined them. So that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah. He kind of sees the choices down the annals of time, the the choice um, that man makes in his own mm-hmm. freedom to to choose God or to 
to reject God, right? right. And base his predestination, uh, his predestination on that. But here's the issue with that. The idea is what is the nature of the word foreknowledge used in, in this passage? Right. And what is the verb use that we're dealing with here? Because one um, has, as we just defined it by Wesley, is based on information. Even though God is knowing all these things at one time, it's based on that information mm -hmm. in which he predestines, right? But the verb use on this is it's an active verb and it's, Indicative. It, it, it indicates something that God has decreed. Right. Okay. And so the difference is when we look at that verb use and compare it to the other verbs that are used in there, um, they're all active verbs. So predestined is an active verb, right? Called is an active verb. And we wouldn't say that God is responding to something else that's happening, you know, mm -hmm. in light of those verbs. And so that verb use has got to be very particular. And what do I mean by that? I think the best way um, to understand that is when God is using a verb that is active and indicative of something, it is always in regard to persons. It's a, it's a person selection. In other words, when we see him use this word, he's, um, he speaks of um, foreknowing Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right? Is this something that God learned about Jesus because of something Jesus was going to do in the future? No, Jesus is eternal. Right? right? So, what does that mean? Um, Israel is a is a people group, right? And then also the church. So there's there's these three that are people group. When we're talking about um, God's foreknowledge, now if we just step back a little bit on this use, um, we can see that in with Adam and Eve, for example, mm -hmm. it says that Adam knew his wife. And she bore Cain. Mm -hmm. Well, what is that? Did he just know who she was? No, he knew her intimately, right? right. There's this, there's an intimate knowledge that's there. Right. It's almost a love aspect, right? right? Adam loved Eve and she bore Cain. That was right. the result of that, that outborn love, right? right? And so many theologians will actually say you can substitute the foreloved. Yeah, the, the foreknowledge here for the foreloved, whom God foreloved, yeah. whom he predestines, right. those he predestined, I mean. Right. So the the idea then here is to try to get into the the biblical worldview and the the reasoning of, of understanding God's knowledge that this when it comes to, especially as we're talking about redemption, we're talking about God's plan of salvation, there is a very important emphasis on persons and on the personal nature of this. And this plan that God has, it's not just a, like, some logical math problem, right? Not that it doesn't have logic to it, mm -hmm. but it is very much uh, enveloped in the whole thing is this relational aspect that God is is dealing with persons and 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 he's loving he, this is a loving response on God's part to a problem that 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 um, all humanity has, right? And so, 
um, if if it was then just God's knowing what you have will or won't do in terms of choosing him or not choosing him, then in some sense his plan is the second cause, not the first cause. That's where we have right. to end up, right? right. That's, a, that's a very big deal because in all things, even if we talk about um, why does evil exist, yeah. right? Even, even though we would never say that God... Right you know, creates evil or anything like that. He's the first cause of allowing it to exist. Right. right. And, and for those purposes. So it's important to understand that there's not anything that happens outside of God's eternal decree. Right. Right. And there, right. and the way he speaks of it in other aspects too, when he says, um, even if somebody that's not a safe person, like he, for example, in Romans nine, he speaks of Pharaoh for this very reason, I raised you up. Right. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound very nice. Yeah, but even but with that, even Pharaoh, in some senses, gave God glory. <laughs> he did, right? right? Yeah. Um, um, in because ultimately, you know, God showed Himself um, to be the true King, right? And so, even in Pharaoh's attempt to deny that, it ultimately proved God to be true, right? And, and so that and that. You know, and that's, I want to get practical here for a minute because what's going to be going through some people's minds is they're going to think about a friend or a loved one who they know that doesn't know Jesus. Maybe even someone who's already passed on. And, and they're going to say, so you're telling me, Thad, that the God of the universe who I love and serve didn't love my friend. He didn't love them. Is that what you're? Is that what this is saying? If, if this if this foreknowledge, which is for loving, you know, and if he didn't for love them, does that mean then that he didn't love them at all? Yeah, those are very difficult questions to answer. So again, we have to keep the scriptures in mind. Um, as we answer them, otherwise we're going to end up in in the land of philosophy. Yeah, you know, which is no good for for anything um, unless it's based in the biblical worldview. Um, so, what do we see about the nature of God? And you had talked about this uh, uh, several um, podcasts ago, so to speak, uh, where we see that God does love His creation, right? And so. We, we call these common graces of which yeah. he allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust so they can um, experience the growth of their crops. That's just one aspect of God's general love, right? Mm -hmm. The one thing that we don't know is God's eternal mind, yeah. right? And so we can only base our answer on what the scriptures give to us. So who do we, what do the scriptures say um, are those who are saved, right? And we know that that is based on faith, right? Right. So people who believe in God truly trust him. This is a trusting belief, not just believe that he exists, right? But that trust him and accept him for who he says that he is, repent of their sins 
that the Bible says that these people that believe in Jesus are covered by his grace, yeah. right? That's the end of that discussion. If we say to that same person that asked me that tough question, did that person believe in Jesus that you're talking about, right? And they say no, and you're going to say, well, now you answer the question for me. They're going to be left in that same difficult question, right? So there, there is very much the faith answer that we can't leave because the call, the general call, the gospel goes out to all, right? right? But there is a special love that we can't pinpoint on particular people. That's God's choice, right? And on, on whom he wants to have mercy upon. God says, whom I'll have mercy, I'll have mercy. Right. Right. And that's totally God's um, saving choice. So we got to take ourselves out of that equation and let God be God and yet present the gospel in a fashion that it's either an exception, acceptance or rejection of that gospel message. Right. right. Well, I think that's important. I think it, because it, and we talked about this before in terms of, you know, God's not violating will. I mean, people who are not choosing God, they're, he's, they're not choosing him, you know. Right. Um, now, for those of us who who have um, been awakened, you know, been given new life by God's for loving um, choice um, and predestination uh, to bring us to to make us the firstborn, you know, to, to that we we become like the firstborn. I'm just trying to use language here from Romans eight, mm-hmm. and that He called and justified and, and all that. Is um, is we've talked about he that it's by God doing that that we did freely then choose him, you know, um, uh, which which will brings up the whole discussion in a minute here of, of is God's grace resistible or not, which is another one of the the points here. But right. before I get there, what I want to say is that the the question at hand of God's love is that. God loves all humans. The question is: Is His saving love upon them all? You know, is a, is a, is another is another issue, right. and and that is where, like, for us, we need to let God be God. We don't need to enter into that, you know, thing and and trust. Is God good? Does he know what he's doing? Is it is it is ultimately all giving his glory? And then when it comes to my um, friend or loved one, I, I always have to ask these questions. Do I believe the God of of the universe will always do what is right and good? And do I trust in that? And then with that, do I then help does that help me see in my own salvation? how much grace I have received in that he has set his love, his saving love upon me, that he did call me, he did justify me purely by his grace. Right. And, and that I'm a recipient of that grace. And that, that in, in no way is anything that I'm able to boast about of myself, right, or, or, or become arrogant in. But actually that, that, that deliver that, that is there, and those feelings we have in there should act should actually make me thankful for my own salvation, mm-hmm. um, and recognize the grace that is there. And while I can be grievous of my friend or loved one 
who doesn't know that, I have no basis on which to be angry at God. Does that it makes you perfect, agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. Um, and again, it, it goes back to what we understand about ourselves right. in our in our fallen state, where uh, we use this word to be depraved. Um, the scriptures describe it to us in our depravity is that we are dead in our sins. We're spiritually dead. Uh, it doesn't say that we're sick or we're ailing, but we're dead. And without life being given to us, um, we will remain dead. Just like being blind, right? We're not right. we're not nearsighted right. or, or, or foggy vision, but we're blind and we're deaf. So we need a miracle to change that happen. And just as Lazarus was raised from the dead, Lazarus could not make a free choice after he was dead in that grave for four days to come out on his own, right? right? It took the power of Christ to say, Lazarus, come forth, and the power of the command of God to raise him. What did that do? That freed Lazarus, brought him back to life. Now Lazarus can come out on his, under his own power because why? Right. Because he was raised to life, right? And that was a temporal thing at that mm-hmm. at that description. But the, the idea um, is not that we in our fallen state are people that are drowning. We'll often see this, right? right. Where people are drowning and God is out there. He's got the life. Here's the life preserver. Here's the life now preserver. Just, grab it. just just grab hold of it. Right. But it doesn't describe us as drowning. Right. Right. We're already at the bottom of the sea, dead. Yeah. Right. We need the breath of God to come into right. our lungs, and that doesn't right. happen on something that we react react to. So that's why we call it being born again as well. But you know, this concept that you brought up, it always is a point of irritation for people that are not understanding what Christ has done and who he is and who Christ describes the father as in the eternal decree. And it comes up in John six where Jesus is describing um, how the father will, will bring those unto himself and how the, and the, and the Jews are saying, Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're Jewish by heritage. You know, we're part of the elect group with blah, blah, blah. You know, our father's eight man in the desert. And, Jesus says, you know, most assuredly, and this is in verse 32 of John 6, it says, Jesus, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Well, what's he speaking of? Not the bread that's nutrients, but the true life that's the son. He's the He's the true bread. The, the bread of God is Christ who came down. This is the... Um, second person of the Trinity that came into the flesh, he added on to flesh, right? He came down and he's the one that gives life to the world. And they, people said, well, get, Lord, give us a spread always. And then in verse 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. There's the general call of the gospel right there, right? Here's the gospel. If you believe you will never hunger and you <laughs> will never thirst. But listen to what he says next to these to these people that are griping. Mm-hmm. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Right. Whoa. He's criticizing them for their lack of unbelief, but here's here's the coup de grace of what we're talking about in verse 37. He says that all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This 
is the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. What is he claiming there? Right. What is he claiming there? Right. And he goes on to say, and this is the will of him who sent me. This is the father to the son. This is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So again, the gospel message is there. There are some who don't believe. Right. And there are some that do. Right. Who resists the gospel? We all do. Right. But here's the decree of God, all that the Father gives to the Son. That, that's the eternal decree, right? There's the ir- irresistible grace comes in the next line because it says that all that the Father gives to me, what? Will come. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, because do we believe that God is strong enough to accomplish his purposes? Um, I think the other side of it has often been, well, well, God's willing to, God's power, he, He's willing to put that out there, leave it into our hands, and still know that he's powerful enough to make it happen. I mean, that, that's kind of the Arminian view, right? That it's like, it, it's a difference. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's so persuasive that, that he can persuade man's will. And while some choose, some don't. And he's, he, he, he can leave it into the, he can leave it there. And I understand the, the heart behind that and, and the notion, but, but the, the reality is there's, you know, uh, can God speak of a, of a guarantee in which he really has not given any sort of guarantee? That he's ultimately, even in this, because what we're talking about here is a little bit the notion of what they call provenient grace in the sense that God is enabling, he, he gives, does this enabling grace in, in, in getting, in taking away that barrier, that bondage to sin to restore man's will to this free state where he can choose or not choose, right? Right, and where where Calvinism say once once God does this, once once we have had that burden, that bondage to sin released, what He does that through that being born again, and once we are born of God, God's grace is irresistible. If once you're born of God, you see the truth of the gospel, and and you don't resist it. You know that that's the that's the the Calvinist view here. And so, so let me jump in there for a second yeah. because I think the prevenient grace um, idea, as we move on through the next couple of verses, is going right. to show itself be quenched a little bit, right? Because the prevenient grace that you just spoke of says that God provides prevenient grace to everybody because the understanding is that the Arminian, the Wesleys of the world, um, understand that we are dead in our sins. Right. right. And the prevenient grace kind of restores people back to what they would call a neutral state. Okay. So the right. problem is where in scripture do, does it say that we're neutral? Right. In fact, so it, it speaks to this directly, right? right. So, um, so we would say that nobody before prevenient grace um, would be able to go to the Father, right? right? But listen to what it says here. And as Jesus speaks, um, continuing on to them, because they started to murmur among themselves, right? And <laughs> he says, listen, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. I'm going to stop there for a second. So no one can come to me. Well, that's what we would all say, right? Yeah, the Wesleyans would say that Yeah, too. same same type of right. thing. Unless the father who sent me draws him. That's so, the convenient grace that the, God's drawing them. Well, maybe, right? So, okay. But the idea here is just to emphasize that no one can come is a statement of inability. No, right. one, is, no one is able to come, right? right? But it says... 
unless the father who sent me draws him. So here's the father's drawing. And if we're mm-hmm. going to say that's prevenient grace, yep. this is how he ends the sentence. Unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Uh-oh. Yeah. The prevenient grace falls apart because not everybody that receives prevenient grace comes, right? right. This says right. you have to. And that's the same thing that's going to happen in the golden chain. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's 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 my point, that, that if, if you can show me in Scripture that there's this period of neutrality, I'm open to it. I'm open to it. I just don't see it. Yeah. It seems to me there's two ways in the Scriptures. There's two types of people. There's the wicked and the, and the righteous. There's the, those who have turned away from God and those who have turned to God. There's no middle ground. I don't see a middle ground in Scripture. I don't see, oh, but there's this little period of time where you have this. It, I'm, I understand it philosophically. I understand the, the desire to have it. I just don't see it described in Scripture anywhere. Because I, I do want to read a little bit back to the man's inability. I wish there's this um, in Robert Raymond's uh, New Systematic Theology of the Christian Faith. He, on his, it's actually under his his section in Systematic Theology on the Eternal Decree sure. of God. Before you do that, I'm going to I'm going to I want to throw this okay. one more thing, and I want you to read that. Because, okay, but this is kind of relevant. Um, would we and would the Arminians say that? Prevenient grace, mm-hmm. um, in their aspect, um, is something that God begins. Is that a good work that God begins yes, in the person? Yes, they would say God begins it. Okay. Yes. In Philippians chapter 1, <laughs> verse 6, it says, Paul saying, Being confident of this very thing, right. that he who has begun a good work in you will leave it up to you to make your own choice in the end. Is that what it says? No, it says he'll carry it to completion. <laughs> it says that he who began a good work and you will complete right. it. So this, again, is um, the grace that goes forward. This is the saving grace and the enabling right. part that will be completed, not by something that we do, but in Christ. So now go ahead yeah. and... Okay, so so he, in this, he's discussing... He's kind of refuting some of the Arminianism, especially some of the extremeness of this. But the whole idea of the will of the mind and the choosing and all that kind of stuff. So here's, he just lists out these things. And I'm not going to read the scriptures, sure. but I'm going to give the references that he gives. Because I just think it's an interesting list to consider the comprehensiveness yeah. of this um, inability. It says, the Bible informs us that men are not only finite... But now are also sinners. So it's so it's also just in our in our finiteness. There's a, there's a sense in which we you know we don't have the will of God, right? God's will is is His all eternal powerful will. Ours is even as we've talked about before this derived will even that mm-hmm. we have, and this one that we have is now also fallen because of sin. All right, and so he says. So we're not only finite, but now also sinners who by nature cannot bring forth any good fruit. Matthew 7, 18. So we cannot bring forth good fruit. By nature cannot hear Christ's word that they might have life, John 8, 43. That we can't hear apart from God um, doing that. By nature cannot be subject to the law of God, Romans 8, 7. By nature cannot discern the truths of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. By nature cannot confess from the heart Jesus as Lord, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, 
by nature cannot control the tongue, James 3.8, and by nature cannot come to Christ, John 6, 44, 45, and 65, out of that same passage in John 6 that you were reading, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In order to do any of these things, they must receive powerful aid coming from them, he says, ab extra, outside of ourselves. Now, that's what they would say. Well, yes, we, in, in some sense, they're saying, we agree with that. This is what we need, that provenient grace, right? Right. Um, to do this. So in some sense, they could even agree with that. But here's here comes the problem is, what you're saying is, in order for God to deal with all that, he must act upon us. He must start this work in us. And what the Calvinist is saying, what and what we believe the Bible is saying, you know, I'm going to lay this on Calvinism because they is biblical, is that what does God call that change to take place? And that change we would say is regenerating change. That it, it, it's it's a change from death to life. It's not there's not a neutrality. It's not like it's not like. God's putting like these spiritual life paddles to get our heart going in. And there's this period of time. It's like, okay, I can choose to either have my start eat, heart beating again or not have it heart beating again. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the, I, we just don't see that in scripture that there is this, you know, this golden chain that you're talking about. There's a, there's a, a, a systematic theology term that comes out of this called the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and really, this is and this is the big issue between Arminianism and Calvinism: is is does faith precede regeneration, or does regeneration precede faith? That that really is the crux that this is all coming down to, right? Right. And and what what I the reason that I believe in this irresistible grace is that re, I say the regeneration precedes faith, and so once you're regenerate and you have that you you have that faith, right? That is that is that is producing the the belief and the trust in in the gospel. Um, and without that regeneration, without being born again, without having the new man, without having the new life, without being raised with Christ, as it talks about in in Ephesians four, I mean Ephesians two, that that faith is not possible. And so, but once that resurrection has happened. Once that being born again has happened, then you don't turn away. God does not let go of you, right? Uh, so that that's the that's the important thing that that we must see that He raised us in, in Ephesians two um, verse six. He raised us up with Him that we were dead in our trespassings. He made us alive together with Christ mm. by grace. You've yeah. been saved, right? Faith isn't even mentioned in there yet. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's the making alive by God that is the key. Right, absolutely. And that goes all the way back as well to um, one of the most general gospel messages. It's the most popular verse in the Bible probably that we see him hold them up in football games, right? Mm-hmm. That for God so loved the world. But earlier on, um, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, uh Jesus says, hey, listen, most assuredly I say to you, because Nicodemus is asking about the kingdom of heaven, right? And Jesus says, listen, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And just in taking it of of that, this is talking about the born again process, right? right? And how are we born again? It says, you know, it comes from heaven. The, The spirit blows where it will. But 
this doesn't talk really about um, a partial enabling either, right? No. It's just it's just talking about you're dead or you're born, right? You're right. born again. You're there's a flesh born, and then there's a right. then there's a spiritual being born, and so if if that's true, and it is, the prevenient grace aspect of those who can be saved falls vastly short of what the scriptures point to throughout the rest of it. Right. There's that's like you said, you know, show, show it to me where, you know, that it, it goes part way because what you were just reading earlier, it talks about the natural man. Well, this is the, the prevenient grace. You would say, or I believe they would say goes forth to the, to the hearing of the gospel, right? People through the hearing of the gospel receive this prevenient grace of God so that they're enabled to hear, right? But it continues to talk about the natural man of those who are hearing the gospel. That's that's still leaving it in the dirt. I mean, again, you got to be careful because we're going. You can start to talk about philosophical aspects of this when when you leave the scriptures too far behind. But that. Right. Um, it doesn't complete the answer, right? It just right. says you're, I mean, so is the prevenient grace, obviously in that point is saying that it's not a born again thing, right? You're, the man is still dead in his sins. Right. Yeah. No. But, but what's the enabling process? So have we taken somebody no. from the dead of, from the bottom of the sea dead and no. now, now they're back to drowning and all they got to yeah. do is reach out? That's, that's what it's, re, that's what it sounds like to me, right? Right. And that's, that, again, that's what I just don't see. And I, I, I do know, and I, let me say, I have a, Friends in the faith who are Arminian, who are Wesleyans, who love Jesus, love the gospel, love the oh, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. And so I just, I just want to say that. And I'm just letting you know that the, the point of disagreement here is that I have not sufficiently been shown in Scripture where this neutral state exists, um, that there's you are dead or you're alive, and that the point of going from dead to alive is that regeneration. It is that being a born again, and with that, that fo- that faith follows that. Right. That when, that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, right. That says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which He loved us, we would say that's the foreknowledge, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, it it absolutely is exactly the same thing, right? right? Because it, it starts from the decree and yeah. and the love is there, yes. And even so, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So we're made alive by grace, and He raised us up with Him, seated us within the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. It says for break, for grace, you've been saved through faith. Mm-hmm. And so that faith, it, that faith is something that is. Is that God is using, and I would say that that faith came by His grace in that regeneration. Well, the state, right? yeah. I mean, when you read, so read that verse eight again. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of right. God. Right. So when you say, "and this is not of your own doing," what is the antecedent to "this is not of your own doing"? Is it? The grace? Mm-hmm. No, the direct antecedent is actually faith. It's the whole statement, right? Yeah. The faith is not of yourselves, right? People right. say the grace is not of yourself, the, right. the faith is, but that there says right. that faith is not of yourselves, right? Because we have to be awakened to be able to believe. We can't do, we're unable, right? Yeah. So I guess, you know, just to, we're, we're going to stay on this topic for a few more sessions and it, it, because you could talk about every aspect right. of, of this chain, but the idea 
um, when we are looking at this, this section here in Romans chapter 8, is to understand um, the end result of the, those whom he foreknew, right? And actually, if we go to verse 27, which is the verse prior I'm sorry, if we go to if we go to verse 28, which is the verse prior to 29, which is where it says he foreknew, mm-hmm. um, what does it say? Again, it talks about um, those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. And now it's going to sum up who the called are, right? Mm-hmm. It basically says for whom he foreknew, right? This is the eternal degree. This is the foreordination of God. His eternal decree to those whom he were was giving to the son and this eternal love gift that the son would die for, he predestines to be conformed to his image of his son. So then he goes more over. So what's, what's the, what's the actual result of this? Um, whom he predestined, he also called, right? Is it possible if you're predestined to not be called? <laughs> right. Does the chain break loose right there? Yeah. Can you break free? No, you can't. No. Um, then he, those whom he called, right. he also justified. Oh, wait a minute. The call, the general call is going out, right? But this is the call for salvation. We've been born again. He also justified. Can the chain break there? No. No, it cannot. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, okay, so I've been righteous for a while by the carving of Jesus' blood, but I mean, I could still lose it, right? I might might go back to depravity again. No, it says those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is an unbreakable chain, right? There's no weak link. The only weak link is something that we would impose upon it if we're dealing with something that is not a, a biblically characterized right. word there. Right. And, and, and the emphasis again is what on he's doing it. Who is the actor in all this? It's God. And so and so just to kind of wrap up here just for today's episode is this confidence, and we see this confidence going into the rest of chapter 8. I encourage you to read verses 31 to the end. Mm. Just talk, just this great of, of assurance of God's everlasting love that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, right? What, this, what should this should produce in us? It should produce, we've talked to past episodes, it shouldn't produce passivity, but actually activity in pursuing God in righteousness and proclaiming the gospel. And I want to lay another element out here, and that is that of prayer, if we are confident that God is going to accomplish his purposes and we're confident in his calling of us and his electing of us, um, that he wants us to be participants in his plan, then it should motivate us to pray. Do we believe God accomplishes his purpose? Do we believe that he has given us spiritual power to work with him in the accomplishment of his purposes? Yes. And he's going to finish what he starts. Yes, then we should be people of prayer mm. to pray. Now, do we know God's individual will in terms of each individual? Per- no, but we know what His plan is. We know what His call is. And if we have a desire for people to be saved, then we should be praying for that, and we should be trust and leave it into God's hands. But we should know that the power into salvation is the preaching of his word and is the Holy Spirit working in that. Why wouldn't we want to call and ask God to do that work? And why wouldn't we want to be praying for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? You know, so if you hold these truths and you see them to be real and God is sovereign in all things, why not go to the king and ask? Mm. 
why not go to the king and pray for your own ongoing sanctification and glorification? Um, and those of, 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 the, of your family members, of his church, and of the preaching and taking of the gospel to all those. That um, we, it's our part to be a part of that general call. It's our, it's what God has ordained for us as the church to do. And so let's pray for it to be done. Mm-hmm. And, and so I encourage, I hope this encourages your prayer life. Because um, we're praying to a God who does what He says, yeah, and He hasn't left it in the hands of men. Um, he, but He has entrusted the gospel to His people to to participate. And so let's let's do that in prayer, in preaching, in the in the in the worship of of God, and let's use the means of grace that He's given in the the the, the proclamation of the word, the the in, in prayer, in the administering of the sacraments, and and in and and just expounding God's truth of his word to people. And so hopefully um you you will participate in those graces and I encourage you to become the the people of prayer and people of, of sharing of the word of God with others. Amen. That's great. Okay. So fantastic. We'll uh, plan on doing this again next time. Yeah, we'll pick up some more chains in this unbreakable chain. <laughs> Sounds All good. Right. Until yeah. then, uh, yeah. live like you're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, right? Amen. All right. Have a good day, everybody. Next time, we will clarify the differences between the general call of the gospel and the effectual call of God. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.